0: Relationomics is our series. And that's really about understanding and building healthy relationships. The verse of scripture that has formed the, the foundation of this is 3 John verse 2. And that just simply says, I, I want you to be health, I want you to be in health and prosper. So the idea of that is that in every in every area of life, whether it is in the family, whether it is in... You know, at work, at school, wherever you may find yourself, I believe that God wants us to have healthy relationships. And I believe he wants those relationships to prosper. Our health and prosperity are not just our physical health and our financial prosperity. God wants you to be healthy in every area of your life. And I'm, I'm, I want to be that. Now, God's word has some great things to say about this. So today, we're going to talk about vocational life. Where we work, the things that we do on a regular basis. Here is here's just something to keep in mind. If you work, if you work for 45 years, which is basically, if you say at 20, say you start at 20, I know these, these numbers are arbitrary, okay? You start at 20, you work for 45 years. <laughs> if you just do what is calculated out to be the average work week, okay, the average work week, which surprised me, is 34 hours. And some of you are going, I'm not even getting started at 34 hours. Are you kidding me? But that's what the averages are. So that means there's a lot of people out there just simply flaking off, right? You know, they're, they're out there about 20. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. That's not happening. I know that. But if that's the case, ready for this? If you do that for 45 years, you're going to give nine years of your life to work. Nine years. So... It tells me that even in the workaday world, I need to get those relationships right. And there's not a person in this room that hasn't run into some kind of a conflict at work. If you haven't, please write a book because you could do a really you really do a great service for everybody. It's, it's gonna happen. In fact, I've been working, <laughs> I've been working a little over four decades in the life of the church. I work exclusively with Christians. And you would think, you would think that that would be like, that is the perfect environment. Oh, I wish I could have that. Now, prison company excluded, this is the most wonderful group of people that I've ever met. And they are wonderful. Here's the deal. Over the years, I have experienced incredible tension inside the church, the work of the church. Okay, now I'm not talking about you know, congregational things. I mean, those, those things and flows, and I'm grateful for the peace that we experience and the unity that we have across us. I'm, I'm all over that. I love it. The truth is, when you get the environment together in work, there's going to be tensions. I can remember, I can remember sitting, sitting in a meeting with, I think, was, I want to say there were four, there may have been five. I'll say four for the sake of just conversation. Four of our administrative assistants in our office, I had to call them together for a meeting. This was some years ago. Say, uh, we got we to gotta get together and chat about some things. So I had, my office was in the very back of the office complex. It was really a cave, honestly. I had no windows. If I wanted to go to sleep back there, I could. You shut the door. You couldn't see the hand in front of your face. It was that dark. So it was really away from it was on all the walls, the exception of one, with concrete. Okay, so it was private. It needed to be for what happened back there. This was just, it was flying, and I'm right in the middle of it, trying to keep peace. I don't know whether I did a good job or not because they all walked out and they were still mad at each other and they left. That's in the church. I can also recall having to be in a an environment where I was sitting with a a friend of mine, I had watched this young man grow up in ministry, in life. And now I'm in, in a position of his being, his being his supervisor. And I had to terminate him over some very egregious conduct. I'm telling you, that was hard. But not only did I have to do that side of this, there's something else I had to do. I had to try and preserve a relationship. You see, relational health within the working world is not just outside the, it's, it's not outside the church it's everywhere why because you're getting people together people come from different places they have different emotions they have different passions but what's so wonderful about god's word is that god's word addresses even issues of relational health on a workaday in a workaday world Within the vocational world, and we're going to talk about that for a little while this morning. And what I what I discovered was a man by the name of Andrew Chamberlain, and you wouldn't know his name. I didn't know his name, but he he works for a company called Glassdoor. Glassdoor does research, and this research is in discovering, and it's a pretty narrow. I'm sure they do other things, but a pretty narrow thing that they. they They want to figure out how, or they want to determine workplace satisfaction. You would think that a person at work would be most happy if the pay was really good and the benefits were really good. You'd think that'd be like the number one thing. But the number one issue for worker satisfaction is this, is culture and values. It's culture and values. Now, if you you just kind of run that out logically... What that says is that people want a healthy culture and strong values at the place that they work. When there are toxic relationships, when the boss, you don't want to be around the boss on Thursdays because every Wednesday he has a meeting of some sort that it just carries over into Thursday. You don't want to be around that one employee because you know... What th- Toxic relationships are not healthy. They're not going to produce a healthy culture. Nor do they reinforce the values of many companies. So what do we do do with that? I believe it's incumbent upon us as Christ followers to be, to, to promote and to live out healthy relationships even at work. To, as a boss maybe, to be to, to be very very understanding and cognizant of how can I foster healthy relationships at my business. If you're a, maybe you're in business for yourself, how can I even in the limited sense, maybe it's just me and one other employee, my, maybe it's my wife, how do we have a good relationship? But it's more than that. How do I foster good relationships with the contracts that I have and, the, and, the, and those that are contracting with me? It's really an important part of our life. So I would leave you with this phrase. A passion for thriving, healthy relationships must dominate the vision of every Christ follower. You and I, we really don't have an option here. And I'm going to say this from the beginning. I may say this a couple of times today, but I'm going to say it from the beginning. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you as a boss should be the best boss your employers have ever worked for. Say it again. If you're a boss, you should be the best boss your workers have ever, your employees have ever worked for. And as employee, you should be the best employee in that particular place of business. No exceptions. Why? Because everywhere you go and I go, I represent Jesus before I represent anything else. The only Jesus that people are going to see in your place of business is you. Is you. You may be the only person in that entire place that knows Christ. But if you have a passion for healthy relationships, you're going to do all kinds of things to build those, to foster them, to, to keep yourself in a place to where you are you are an example of Christ to everyone that you encounter at work. Scripture talks often, and I mentioned this first week of our series, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't been here every week, I encourage you to go back and look through the, I believe it would be a really good tool for you. But I mentioned the first week that the Bible is, why are we talking about this? Because the Bible is a relational book, and also God is a relational God. So it really does set it apart, it's important. Let me just run through some scriptures very quickly, just kind of give you a little overview of some of the things that scripture talks about in a variety of variety of topics, Leviticus 19, your scales and weights must be accurate. Your containers for measuring dry materials or liquids must be accurate. What's he talking about? Honesty. Honesty. If you're a, if you're a business owner, you got to be honest in how you conduct your business. Scales and weights should be honest scales and weights. Nehemiah 13. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms. These men had what? An excellent reputation. Proverbs 10. Hard workers... Get rich. Daniel six. Daniel was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Luke six thirty one. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Romans twelve, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Ephesians four fifteen. Speak the truth in love. Colossians three. Work hard and cheerfully at all you do, just as though you were working for the Lord. 1 Peter 2, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. Now that's, just, that's just a little bit. There's, there's so much more. And so what I decided to do, actually, I, I, I'm going to, I didn't say this for service, but I will. I'm going to take a little more time today. So Oh, that was a good opportunity for an amen. <laughs> But it met with absolute crickets, so I'm a little scared right now. Take just a moment or two more today to just share this with you. When I went home on Wednesday afternoon, which is my, Wednesday is my study day. When I went home Wednesday afternoon, I had pages of notes on what I was preparing. Virtually everything changed overnight. Thursday morning as I was preparing, I felt as if God was just simply directing my every step. And I finally just said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't know where this is going, but I'm just going to keep following you in this. And I I, I don't know that I've ever shared anything like that with you before. But it was very unique for me in the sense of what what I thought we were going to do and what I really felt we should do and where it ended up being. So here's what we're doing. We're going to look at three personalities from Scripture. We're not going to go into depth, but we're going to look at Joseph, we're going to look at Daniel, and we're going to look at Nehemiah. Each of these three individuals have common, there are common things that you find in their lives that I believe that if we can look at them and apply them to us, we can see how we can foster strong and healthy relationships at work. So that's what we're going to do. We're going look at three individuals, again, Joseph, Nehemiah, and Daniel. They all served in very unique capacities. Joseph was sold into slavery. He worked for Potiphar, who was a slave owner. He was worked for a prison warden. He was in jail, worked for a prison warden. And then Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt. Well, Nehemiah worked for Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. And then Daniel worked in four administrations of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. So These individuals excelled in what they did in less than perfect environments. Now, let me just stop and say, some of you here this morning are working in less than perfect environments. I'm going to also say this. You're working in environments that may not necessarily be considered godly. How do you do it? Well, Scripture helps us. So, the first thing we learn about these individuals... They maintained their character. Regardless of what was happening in their life, they maintained character. And here's something I picked up. I thought it was really good. The truth of your character is expressed through the choice of your actions. The truth of your character is expressed through the choice of your actions. The things that you choose to do really are a reflection of your character. Jesus would say it this way. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is that? It's here. There are choices that we make that are generated from our heart. Joseph, Genesis 39. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though, this is, <laughs> this is Potiphar's wife trying to, get, trying to seduce Joseph. she spoke to Joseph day after day. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He maintained his character in the midst of very difficult temptation. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He said, no, I'm not going to do this. This is against the law of God. I'm not going to do it. And then Nehemiah chapter 2. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now let me just stop. What is it all about? Nehemiah wants to go back to Jerusalem. There's difficulties. I'll explain a little bit more later as we move through this. You notice what the king said? I want you to come back. So I set a time. In other words, I went online. I put my character online. I'm going to do this. Look at the last verse, chapter 13, verse 6. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. In other words, he kept his word. He kept his word. They maintained their character to these individuals. It is absolutely essential that when you and I are in a working environment, that we remain People of character. Why? Because we are followers of Jesus Christ. We represent Him. People are impressed by talent, but God is impressed by their character. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says it really well. So I tell you, live the way the Spirit leads you. And he would add this, and you're not going to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You're going to maintain your character when you live by the Spirit. For the Spirit produces in a person's life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control. And so I would just say in your character, and here's a... What are you leaving? What are you leaving in your wake? What are you leaving in your wake for others to deal with? When you walk in the room, when you're in that business meeting, when you're in that... Whatever it is... What is it that people tra- They follow? What, what follows you? Is it character? Or is it, I can't trust that guy. I can't say one thing that I don't think he's going to twist or turn. I don't know what he's going to do. I can't trust him. No, don't let that ever be said of us. Let us be people of character. Maintain your character. Second thing is that their trust in God remained a priority. One of the first scriptures I ever committed to memory was this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 6. You know there are a lot of verses that talk about trust but I don't know that there's any better one. I don't know that we have to go outside that verse to really be locked into how powerful trust in God is. I've got to trust God in my business, in my working world. So do you. Total trust in God enables us, hear me, Trust in God enables us to endure the pits like Joseph in the prison. It it helps us withstand the accusations when they're falsely made against us like Daniel. And They help us overcome the obstacles like Nehemiah when at every turn somebody was fighting against what he was doing. Trust in God. Joseph chapter 41. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Pharaoh had a dream. He found out that Joseph could interpret dreams, but Joseph stands before him and says, it's not me, Pharaoh, it's God. His trust was in God, not in his own abilities. Daniel, I thank and praise you, God, in my answers. Just understand... Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. He has told the, the magicians and the enchanters, you tell me the dream and then you interpret it. And they told him nobody can do that, king. And so he was going to put them all to death. He was going to kill them all. Well, Daniel found out and he says, give me just a little bit of time because I'm going to go to prayer. And that's where we find him. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Daniel replied to the king, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asking about but there is a god in heaven who reveals mysteries he trusted in god trusted in god then you see nehemiah chapter one he's praying lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man he trusted god and god answered his prayer So how's your trust in God doing? You might trust him with the little things. You might even trust him with the big things. But do you trust him at work? Do you walk into those sales meetings and say, God, I need your help today because last quarter wasn't particularly good. Do you face that employer that holds in their their hands the balance of your work life Do you walk into that meeting and say, Jesus, help me today. Give me wisdom today. I'm putting my trust in you. Regardless of the outcome of this meeting, my trust is in you. Understand this. You may work for whatever company it is, but they are not your source. God Almighty is your source. He is the one who provides for you. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. uh, Third thing is that they spoke the truth with respect. This is really significant. Sometimes it's, can I just tell you, sometimes it's challenging to tell the truth at all times. You say, wait a minute, you're you're a pastor, you're not supposed to say that. I'm just telling you what I'm thinking here and what y'all are thinking. I have a friend who says it this way, the truth is always your friend. I wonder, is it? Is it? It is, but do we really believe it? Because <laughs> there are times when the boss asks you, "Run a front, there it is, and you go, "Oh, what am I going to say? Ever been in a position like that where you're questioning what you're going to say? When you know that if you really spoke <laughs> the truth, you don't know what the outcome might be? Or you show up on a day and you just happen to meet that employee that's the, the EGR, the Extra Grace Required Employee. And they say something and you've got to answer truthfully. And you're going, oh, goodness, what am I going to Is the truth always your friend? It should be. But it's spoken with respect. And you see, our three characters do that extraordinarily well. Why? Because they're maintaining their character and they trust in God. So, look at Joseph. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation. Now, there's a little bit of history there. He's in prison. He's he's helping the warden. He's got two. He's got the butler and the baker. Okay? They both have dreams. So, he gives the baker. Here's what's going to happen. He goes, cool. That's what the butler said. But this is what the interpretation, this is what Joseph said. This is what it means. Within three days, wow, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head. I'm telling you, that had to be a hard message to convey, don't you think? But he did it anyway. Why? Because it was truth. It was truth. Daniel, Daniel answered the king. This is Belshazzar. Now, this is later on. Literally, the Medes and the Persians are at the gate of Babylon. That very night, he will lose his life and lose his kingdom. There's a finger that shows up and writes on the wall. He was so terrified, his knees knocked together. That's what the scripture says. And he says, can anybody interpret? It? Nobody could. But then his mother says, there is an exile. He can read. He can, he can. do dreams. We'll get him. So Daniel came in, and that's where we pick up the story. Then Daniel answered the king. He had offered him, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. You can do this. You can keep your gifts for yourself and give rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And here's the words I want you to look at. Your majesty. What did he do? He told him the truth, but he did so with respect. Okay? Then Nehemiah. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Of, hear that? I was very much afraid. This is, this is not something to be trifled with. He's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world. And this powerful man says, what's wrong today, Nehemiah? You don't look like this. Oh, I'm just not feeling good. That's kind of what we do. He said, no, this, then (laughs) the king has the audacity to go a little deeper. No, this is sadness of heart, what's going on? I was very much afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Respect. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. What is he saying? This is why I'm sad. I'm afraid to even say it, but I've said it. Long live the king. He did so with respect, but he told the truth. And you and I can do the same thing regardless of what we may be facing. It may not be the easiest thing for us to say, but it's the truth. Why? Because when you maintain your character, you're going to tell the truth. When you trust in God, you're going to tell the truth because you don't care about... It's not that you don't care about the consequences. The consequences are what they are. God will take care of you. Ephesians 4 it says, speak the truth in love. In love. Next is that their work ethic was exceptional. I don't know. I look back at my work life. Uh, there are times that I've been a really good employee. I, I, I'm not patting myself on the back, but there are times I've worked really hard. Long hours, worked hard. And there have been times when I wanted to get fired. <laughs> I was working in, a, <laughs> I was in college. And somehow... I ended up with the worst possible job, and that's really coming from a bad place because I ended up becoming a janitor in a boy's dormitory at school. I want to tell you something, there's nothing worse than that. But I did that, That was no big deal, but this, I was gardening. Ugh. What's the point? I don't like gardening, and I ended up with a job with the gardening, so I was not into it. And when I got fired that day, I'm going, oh, thank you. Oh, this is the greatest day of my life. I don't have to garden anymore. I really didn't do that, but that's kind of how I feel now as I look back on it. But I think most of the time I've been a good employee. So I'll just ask you, how's your work ethic? And that's a hard question to answer because sometimes it's not really, it may not be what we think of ourselves, but it's what others say about us or how they recognize our ethic at work. But you say, well, what does a good work ethic have to do with relationships and healthy ones? I'll tell you, it has a lot to do with it because it creates tension. I was in an environment where I had one of our one of our team members come to me and say, Gary, I need to tap. <laughs> when they would walk into my office, and they would walk into my office and close the door behind them, I went, oh, buddy, here we go. That happened about 14 times a day. Now I'm teasing 12, 12, only 12. So I came in and said, I can't take it anymore. And I went, What? He does, where is he? And he gives me the name, Where is he? He's never here. Is he at home? Is he out? Where is he? And I said, what, What's going on? I said, I'm like the first guy here and I'm the last guy to leave and this guy never shows up. I can't take it anymore. Do you think there's a little bit of tension going on? Do you think there's a little bit of tension between the two of them? Oh, yeah. You see, when our work ethic isn't good, others are going to notice. and That will create tension. And as a Christ follower, no, we're not to do anything that would create tension, or I'll use another word I used earlier, toxic culture. No, we need to have a good work ethic. I love what we learn about these guys Joseph Genesis 39 so the warden he's in he's in jail can you get that that's not the best of working environments Joseph in charge. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Why? Because he maintained his character. He trusted in God, and he spoke the truth with respect. It's right there. I'm not I'm not making this stuff up. If you've got an argument with this, you've got to take it up with... My boss. Our boss. Daniel. In every matter of wisdom, it's extraordinary. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them ten times better. Now Daniel so distinguished himself, look at this, among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Are you kidding me? That's a work ethic. Nehemiah. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul, in 52 days. I want to tell you, this guy got there, he got to work, he motivated the people, and he accomplished a task incredibly for God. How's your work ethic? You see, remember whatever we do, whether it's at work, at school, at home, at church, wherever, Says as Paul says, whatever you say or do, should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus as you give thanks to God the Father because of him. We work as unto the Lord. We serve as unto the Lord. Whether you are a plumber or you are a pastor, whether you're an electrician or you are an electronic, it does not matter what we do. We serve as unto the Lord. Also, they express genuine concern towards those they serve. This, to me, is really extraordinary quality. Uh, some years ago, I was in a staff meeting, and we were interviewing some guys that had come back from a conference, and we asked them, what was the one thing you learned as you went away? So, said, well, the one thing that became very, very apparent at the church that we were at, observing what they were doing, was that they were all in. They believed in everything that was going on. They were just committed to the vision, the direction. They were all in. There was no wavering, so everything they did, they were, they were trumpeting the vision and the mission and the team that was there. They were all in. I got to thinking myself as I walked away, I just asked that question, am I all in? Am I all in? And that really does have a lot to say about the way that I perceive or the way that I feel about the organization that I work for. It says a lot about how you feel about your business. In other words, do you share and express True concern. Do you believe in what you are doing? Do you believe in your boss? Do you believe in your employees? This is critical because, again, this is God-ordained. We do everything as unto the Lord. So when I look at this, I'm saying, I want to have a genuine concern in the in the workaday world. I want to have a genuine concern for those I work alongside and for those I work for or for those employees that work with me to accomplish whatever it is. I want to have a concern, a genuine concern. And you see that in the lives of these three. For Joseph, now he was asked the question, How do we, the, after the king's dream, he said, here's what you're going to do. This food should be held and reserved for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. There was a famine coming of seven years. He said, this is what we need to do. You know, Joseph was in jail. He could have said, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want something good to happen to Egypt. Look what Egypt's done to me. Right? But he didn't, did he? A genuine concern for the nation. Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had had another dream. And Daniel's back in the mix. But this time, Nebuchadnezzar dreams about being driven away in this, like an animal, and living out in the open, and it's just a miserable dream. And Daniel says, yes, king, I'll interpret it. And here's what he says, my lord. If only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. But it's you. You notice he tells the truth, but what he also does, you see, Nebuchadnezzar, you're a despotic ruler. And you're going to get what you deserve. I wonder how often we walk into situations, I'm so excited, this guy's finally getting his just desserts. No, no. Why? Because we want to maintain our character. We want to trust in God. We, we want to speak truth and love. We, we're going to show genuine concern for the company that we work with, our boss, our employees. Nehemiah, I was cupbearer of the king. That doesn't seem like much, but it was much, because a cupbearer was a high-ranking official in the court. And you see, here's what a cupbearer would do. Everybody was trying to kill the king. Okay, he, you know, he, couldn't be, he might not be the most popular guy on the street. What would the cupbearer do? Cupbearer would taste the food and drink the wine before the, king, before the king did. If it was poisoned, long live the king. Say goodbye, adios to the cupbearer. They can be replaced. The king can't be replaced. That's his position. A, a, a position of what? Trust. And what does he do? I was cupbearer to the king. The highest trusted position that the king, that that he could have entrusted to him. He was thinking the best of the king as he would perform his duties with great quality. Ephesians chapter 6. Remember, do your work. Be happy to do it. Work as though it is the Lord you are serving. Have a great and genuine concern for those that you work alongside. And lastly, their influence is unmistakable. Influence. They were influencers. You know, I mentioned a while ago about the wake. What is the wake that follows you? If you are out in the middle of the ocean, you could see a wake. You know there's something ahead of you you could follow. I wonder if there are certain things that we don't want to follow. But these guys, yeah, they're worth following. They've left an extraordinary legacy for us. Nehemiah, or excuse me, Joseph, chapter 47 of Genesis. This is after the, they've stored away the food, and people have come to Joseph Help us. And here's what they say. You have saved our lives, they said. What, what a statement. You've saved our lives. Now look at this. A little farther down in the verse. So Joseph established this gathering of the tithe. That two per, he would take a fifth of the harvest and put it aside. Look at this. So Joseph established it as law concerning the land in Egypt still in force to this day. A fifth, a fifth of the produce belongs to the Pharaoh. What does that mean? If there's, a, there's something that's following him. It's of lasting value. Well, what about about Daniel? And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. He served four different administrations. And even to this day, Daniel's prophetic life continues on. And we are looking to Daniel's prophecies in the final days of this particular millennia. God is going to do something through Daniel yet. His influence continues. And then finally with Nehemiah. He just says, it's a prayer, remember me for this, O God. The, remember this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done. What did he do? He rebuilt the world, walls of Jerusalem, reestablished worship. He became the governor of Jerusalem, and his influence continued through generations until even today. Be an influencer for the good. I'm going to go through seven things very fast, very fast. They're not on your notes but it just gives you seven ways in which you can be an influence. You may want to take a picture of the screen at the very end. I'm just going to walk through them real fast. I'm not even going to make comment. Number one, respect others' people's, other people's time, space, and values. Number two, listen beyond words to someone's heart. Number three, ask questions in order to get to know someone. Number four, make time for people, not just projects. Number five, pray for the people you work along. i got to make a comment there. Pray for your boss. Pray for your boss. Pray for your employees. Pray for them. Pray that God would use you. Pray that God would use them. Number six, have real-life conversation about real-life issues. Laugh and have fun together. Now leave that up for just a minute so the pictures can be taken if you're interested. Be an influencer. What follows in your wake? I love this verse in Acts chapter 13. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He accomplished what God had called him to do. You can do the same. Leave something for the generations to follow. And this last phrase, heaven, heaven values relationships. God's work on earth requires it and our destiny mandates it. God values relationships. And I'm going to tell you, he values healthy relationships even at work. So as we close this morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture. It's not in your notes. I want you to write this down. Write down, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Romans 12, 9 to 21. But I want you to listen to this in the context of being a good employer and a good employee. Okay? That's the context that I'm leaving with you. Look at what Paul says. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For those scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. What if that was applied in your work, in your business? I believe we'd have healthy relationships in our vocational life. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning.